0: Another episode of In Enemy Territory. Today is the season one finale. We covered all my family's birthdays. And now these last two episodes featured my favorite football player, Brett Favre. And, and last week my favorite hockey player of all time, Sid Crosby. Today we'll close out the trio of my favorite with my favorite baseball player, Pudge Rodriguez. Yvonne Rodriguez. And with that, we'll close out our first season of In Enemy Territory podcast. So let's get into it. Today, in 2012, April 23rd, Pudge Rodriguez signs a one-day deal with the Texas Rangers to retire as a Ranger after a long Hall of Fame career where he's been there, done that, done, done it all, and... He wanted to retire as a Ranger, just to give you a brief synopsis of, of Pudge's career. He started off with the Texas Rangers. They drafted him in 1988. got called up 1991 and he was with the Rangers for 12 years. by far the longest he played with any team. Um, he then went on to the Florida Marlins for one year. He won the World Series there in 2003. And that actually is when I fell in love with him during that playoff run. I was, I guess, I was about 11 years old, and just watching that playoffs was really the, my first time, really tuning into baseball and understanding what was going on. And that year was when Aaron Boone hit the walk off against the Red Sox to send the Yankees to the World Series, and the Marlins beat the Yankees that that World Series. But that was the ALCS. The NLCS had the Steve Bartman game where the Cubs blew a lead to the Marlins late in the game. And the Marlins ended up taking the series and going on to win the World Series. Pudge Rodriguez was a huge factor in the Marlins winning their second World Series. After Florida, he went to the Tigers for five seasons um that also was like prime time for me that was like middle school slash high school when i was super super like in love with the guy and every single baseball game going on in the league i was looking at the stats and probably i think i was doing fantasy baseball and it was just huge then he went to the yankees briefly went to the astros had a short stint with the rangers again and he finished off his career with the Nationals two seasons by that time you know he wasn't really an everyday catcher he was kind of the backup when the when the main catcher needed a day off and stuff like that and actually when he was on the Nationals my brother my younger brother was living in around DC at the time he went to a signing of i think it was maybe Ryan Zimmerman and Pudge and maybe one other guy. But anyway, my brother waited in line for four hours, got a baseball signed by Pudge and surprised me by giving it to me. I was I was completely shocked and honored and really flattered that my brother would do that for me. But I guess knowing how much I love Pudge Rodriguez, um, he felt inclined to do that. I'm posting a Picture of the ball on the Instagram if you're interested in taking a look. Um, but that was basically his career by the time 2011, the end of the season hit, he was ready to retire. The following year, he announced it up on April, you know, in the, uh, basically in the offseason, towards the end of the offseason, he announced it. He signs a one year deal April 23rd, 2012, with the Texas Rangers. Um, Very shortly after that, the Rangers inducted him into their Hall of Fame, the Team Hall of Fame, and first ballot Hall of Famer. As soon as he was eligible, he made it to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Some of what went on, let's just call it the accolades of of Pudge's career. He was the fourth, he took fourth uh, place in the Rookie of the Year voting in 1991. And he was really caught fire with how, how I think he, he, he his caught stealing average, his average of throwing out base runners was almost 50%, which led the league. His batting wasn't quite there yet, but as he developed uh, in Texas, he actually had a monster year in 1999. He hit 30-plus homers, 100-plus ribbies. Um, Grabbed the AL MVP. Uh, Many actually think Manny Ramirez should have won that year, but anyway, Pudge was phenomenal. The Rangers never really went any on any long playoff runs, though. But nineteen ninety nine AL MVP, two thousand three World Series, and in that. Run to the World Series. He he grabbed the NLCS MVP. He was the first player in the National League to register ten ribbies in the National League Championship Series. I'm uh, pretty sure since then it's been broken. I don't remember which player d- done it. I think maybe Buster Posey's done it, and a few others. But Padre Rodriguez had a mega series against the Cubs, and fourteen-time <clears throat> All Star all of those within his first 16 seasons he had 13 gloves gold gloves in that span and he has caught the most baseball games in history 2000 plus games 2397 to be exact um fun fact the day he got married he actually later that day got called up by the Rangers, and he and he played a game for the Texas Rangers in his MLB debut. That was June twentieth, nineteen ninety one. I thought that was pretty cool, and it caught my eye because that is my dad's birthday. Um, coinciding with this day that Pudge Rodriguez signed the one day deal with the Rangers, April twenty third, actually in nineteen ninety nine, Fernando Tatis achieved one of the greatest achievements a baseball player can argue, arguably make. He's the only player ever to do it. Fernando Tatis hits two grand slams in the same inning. And that's that's just super unreal. Like, a grand slam is already, like, the greatest play a batter can do. You know, that's let's, let's just call it even a walk-off grand slam. Like that would be unreal. It's happened, but it's very rare. But for someone to hit two grand slams in the same game, let alone two slams in one inning, unreal. He I don't know if that could ever be broken. I don't think anyone'll ever hit 3. Maybe someone one day will tie it. I'm sure it's you know, it's not it's not untouchable obviously cuz he did it. But it makes me, th- whenever I think about this specifically at the two slam inning, it makes me automatically want to think about what to me are the most unbreakable records or untouchable records uh, across across sports. And I'm probably not the only one in saying this, but the first one that always jumps out in my mind is Cal Ripkin playing the 26, 32 consecutive games, starting 2,632 consecutive baseball games, where barely anyone even, no one even gets a thousand consecutive games anymore. They get their maintenance days, this and that. Catchers for sure never do it. Uh, outfielders have a chance to maybe play full seasons these days, but no, no, no one barely even plays 162 games in a season anymore. We don't even have 162 games in a season anymore, thanks to COVID. Uh, but, but no, just 2,632 consecutive games. If you looked at the Baltimore Baltimore Orioles box score, he was the shortstop, and that's just as ridiculous. It was ridiculous then, still ridiculous to this day, and I don't think especially the way the game's gone they protect the player's health better than they did but just with his streak of of staying healthy staying good being the best on his t- you know being the best shortstop that was a that was that was there and at times being the best shortstop in the entire league um that's to me that's the most unbreakable record out there second which it is still very unbreakable, but one notch lower, I would say, is Wayne Gretzky's um, cumulative points between his 800 and almost 900 goals and his 17 or 1,800 assists and you know, 2,700-something points. And number two is not even in 2000. With just his assists, Wayne Gretzky would be the leading scorer of all time. Um... I don't know how anyone's ever going to break that because nowadays even the best players that score 130 or 115, 100 points. And, and Gretzky was putting up 220, putting up 170. like Many, many years of just racking up huge scoring seasons. The game's just different now. Maybe if the game changes and they... I mean, it would be stupid, but then there's always rumors that they might make make the net a couple inches bigger, you know, from side to side and the height. I don't think that'll ever happen, but you know, if they did that and they make the goalies' pad smaller, then maybe you know, scoring will substantially go up. But uh, that would be kind of stupid, and then the whole argument would be Wayne did it on the regulation size net, and now they made it bigger on a four by six net. The way the game is, no one's going to touch Wayne Gretzky's record. One record of his that will be broken, and I called this already a few years ago, I really believe Alex Ovechkin is going to pass Wayne Gretzky on the all-time goals list. He's only 180-ish goals behind, and and the guy does not slow down. He put up 48 goals this year in a short season. He would have had another 50. This was his 10th time leading the league in goals. He's not slowing down. He's still putting up 50 goal seasons. And at that pace, in three years, he'll be just what 40, 50 goals behind at the age thirty-seven. Come on! And the guy never gets hurt. He just camps out in his spot. Everyone knows it's coming, and still, seven hundred and six goals later, no one can stop it, and no one will stop it. Alex Ovechkin. I hate you know. I hate to say it because many of them have come against the Penguins, but he's gonna he's gonna catch Wayne. No one will get the assists or the points, but Ovi will sit number one on the all-time goals list mark my words you heard it here not first but you heard it here um when i think about personal football records i it's a little it's a little different because the game really hasn't changed so much other than the passing stats have gotten super um gone they've skyrocketed um with the with the running games kind of getting tuned down a little bit and 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 just the way that defenses are are allowed to play defense now and a lot less hard hitting and it gives wide receivers a lot lot more room to work with. Quarterbacks are throwing for 5,000 yards a lot more frequently. But anyway, no no records really stand out yet as unbreakable because I don't think anything really has become unbreakable. Um, But one record that definitely can be tied and broken but it would be very hard to it will be very hard to duplicate is um and we've talked about this on a previous podcast but when the buffalo bills lost four straight super bowls in 89 90 91 92 or maybe it was 88 89 90 91 depending on how you call the season um first of all painful i can't imagine being a buffalo fan then or now, but especially then, you know, because you've got a great team. Like, it's one th- one thing if your team sucks year to year. You can give up on them and hate them. But this team was ridiculous, and they had Kelly as quarterback, and he's a Hall of Famer. He was really good, and they won a lot of huge games. You don't get to the Super Bowl without winning huge games. If I was a Bills fan, I'd probably be able to tell you about them. But I really have only looked – briefly at the actual super bowls the first one they lost by two points by missing a field goal at the end of regulation that would have won them the super bowl and 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 the kicker missed it and then super bowl two three and four in order were all double digit losses so it wasn't it wasn't the the epitome of heartbreak like the first one was but by the time your team loses a fourth straight you're probably already like oh we did it again. I knew it. No point in getting excited. But, but to lose four straight already means you made it four straight times where no one else has done that. So it's kind of like a blessing and a curse because obviously every team wants to get to that Super Bowl. You want to play in the last game of the season. And for, for any team to even get to one Super Bowl just takes so much to go right. It takes so much talent. You got to win, you know, in those 16 games, you got to win enough, get to the playoffs, stay healthy, keep it up, show up big. And, you know, if you have a bye week, you're really only going to play three three games, two to get to the Super Bowl. If you don't have the bye week, then you're playing three games just to get to the Super Bowl, win or go home. So to win, you know, let's say the Bills had a bye week every week, every each of those four years they still had two huge playoff wins just to get to the Super Bowl and for those 4 years combined they were 8 and 4 in the playoffs which is uh, I'll take 8 and 4 in the playoffs you know and let and they probably did it have they probably were 9 and 4 or 10 and 4 in those 4 years so really it sucks that they lost you know for them at least but i don't like I don't know what the stigma is, what they say about Joe Kelly, um, or Jim Kelly, Jim Kelly, about not being able to win the big game, but they won a lot of big games. So like to me, not as a fan from the inside, I'm like, you know, also to, to play in the Super Bowl and to, to get to the Super Bowl, you're beating good teams. You're playing good teams. By that time, all the bad teams, they've gone home already. You're playing the best teams that are left so like you really you need a little bit of luck you need the calls to go your way you need everyone to be healthy there's a lot that goes into it so like yeah they lost four straight but I don't really know I don't know it's been a while since you know, other than Tom Brady he just made it to three straight before last year they missed out but it's just so hard to get to, to four straight Super Bowls let alone you know back to back so I don't know when the next time that'll happen. Maybe Mahomes, maybe the Chiefs, but you never know. Health and just, you know, one bad playoff game and you go home. So that's my pick for for the football's, you know, unbreakable quote-unquote records of the three I talked about. The the four straight Super Bowl appearances definitely, I would say, is the most attainable. Um, But anyway... Speaking about Grand Slams and Fernando Tatis, I just wanted to throw out there. I uh, met too when we were talking. Tatis, which by the way, his son is now a superstar in, in the MLB. He really exciting player to watch on the San Diego Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr., probably even better than Sr. was. I don't know if he'll hit two Grand Slams in the same inning, but... Um, But no, all-time Grand Slam leaders. I remember when he was chasing Lou Gehrig, 23 career Grand Slams. He was number one for a very long time. Um, But I remember two players every year hitting two, three Grand Slams, climbing up the charts, Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, two of the best players from my childhood, as it is. Um, A-Rod climbed the mountain. Past Lou Gehrig, he finished his career with 25 career Grand Slams. Manny topped out at 21 Grand Slams. So the top three is A-Rod, 25. Lou Gehrig, 23. Manny Ramirez, 21. And my boy Pedro Rodriguez hit six career Grand Slams. Not, not shabby. Not too shabby, but not in that echelon of, of the 20s. Those are the only three players to hit 20-plus also. Everyone else had 19 or fewer. Let's move on to talk about today's birthdays, April 23rd, 1921. Warren Spahn. I don't, if, I don't know exactly how to pronounce the last name, but Warren Spahn or Span. I haven't, really, I haven't really said his name out loud too much in my life, but I call him Warren Spahn um, was born. He had the most wins. Uh, he has the most all wins by a left-handed pitcher, by a southpaw, and he had the most wins after th- – after 1920, the post-1920 era, 363 career wins. Uh, 1943, Tony Esposito was born on this day. He was a, a longtime goalie for the Blackhawks. Um, he is commonly credited with making the butterfly move popular, the you know butterfly maneuver when you throw your legs and arms straight out uh, to block the net. 1977, Andrew Jones was born. He was the, he was an Atlanta Brave. A uh, fun fact about him, he hit a home run in his first two-career World Series at-bats, which made him the youngest ever to ho- hit a home run in the series as well. So two really cool things about him. In the 1996 World Series, which the Yankees beat the Braves, Andrew Jones never won the World Series with Atlanta, as as Atlanta has only won one time. Um, In 2000, Chloe Kim, an American snowboarder, was the youngest woman ever to win a gold medal. She was 17 years old in in Pyeongchang in 2018. So those are today's birthdays. And we'll finish off the episode talking a couple big, notable, memorable moments, uh, highlights that happened on April 23rd. Let's go back to 1939. Hall of Famer Ted Williams hits his first career home run. 15 years later to the day, Hank Aaron, first career home run. I love that. I love when stuff like that happens. In the second episode of this season, we talked about how Babe Ruth and Willie Mays actually, Babe Ruth had his last three career home runs slash his last hit of his career on on one day. And exactly 15 years later, Willie Mays had his had his MLB debut and just it's cool when stuff like that works out. That's basically the whole basis of this podcast is me, you know, googling or just pulling my way through all these stats and numbers that keep me up at night and seeing stuff like this is just I still get giddy over over finding stuff like this and I'm twenty-eight years old. I don't think I'll ever change, and I hope I don't. But Teddy Teddy Williams and Hank Aaron both hit their first career home run on this day. And in 1950, the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup on the first ever Game 7 overtime winner. This was scored by a player named Joe Babindo. Against the New York Rangers. And the only other Game 7 that ended in overtime was also by Detroit four years later against the Canadians by a player named Tony Leswick. So Detroit has the only two Game 7 overtime, which I I guess means those are the only two Game 7 overtimes that ever a Stanley Cup finished in. Every other Stanley Cup that's ended in overtime was not a Game 7. Like, I want to say the most recent Stanley Cup to finish in overtime was Alec Martinez for the Kings over the Rangers in, I want to say, 2014. I believe I'm right. Let's just say 2014. And the one before that was, I don't even know. Patrick Kane, 2010 against the Flyers when nobody knew he scored it. I think those are the most two recent Stanley Cups to finish in overtime. But those were Game 6 and Game 5. This was a Game 7. Next goal wins the Stanley Cup. And I I wish we could see one again, because it's been 66 years since we've last seen it. And I'm sure one day soon it will happen. And when it does, man hope it's the Penguins. <laughs> With that, that's the uh, the end of our show, the end of our season. Um, I feel like we maybe started off a little slow this season, but definitely we picked up some momentum. I'm going to take a break. I'll let you guys know when I'm coming back. I don't quite know when. I uh, need to learn how to edit episodes a little bit better, so I'm going to take some time, get a little bit better at everything record some great stuff, put together an even better show than I've been putting out. And in the meantime, let's go Steelers 5-0, baby. All right, if you want to follow the show, we've got an Instagram page, uh, at IET Podcast. Or if you want to follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash IET Podcast. Thank you so much for listening this season. It's really been great. Um, I love doing this so much, and I really hope – my my ultimate goal is to fill out one episode for every day on the calendar which if you are doing the math would be 366 episodes this is episode 14 so we've got a long way to go very long way but until then stay safe out there peace and see you next season